The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. Join the discussion at Pain.tv slash gold. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. You are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. Folks, I apologize. I took a five-day uh, hiatus here. I was not planning on being gone that long. The show has been growing. It's been fantastic. And then all of a sudden, I had to take a little break. So let's see if we can pump this show back up, get this train back on the tracks and get this thing moving forward i hope everyone hangs in there with us because you guys have been so loyal so uh just amazingly uh warm and welcoming of this new show and i really do appreciate it folks and so hopefully we can get this thing moving full steam ahead get back on the tracks and pick up where we left off to everyone who has left a five-star review and a comment at apple Podcasts, i appreciate that please continue to do that folks you haven't heard had to hear me say that the last five days uh but please do that to everyone who has joined pain.tv slash gold we really appreciate that you get access to the ad-free video version of this podcast and the thomas Payne podcast as well as access to the facebook like website and app where you can network with like-minded folks share intelligence back and forth uh talk about the shows share information you've been collecting develop groups in there whether it's on farming and gardening or whatever second amendment doesn't really matter folks all types of people have groups in there and there's information flying back and forth and you can do that with people who share similar values values as you do similar principles as you do so it's a great place to hang out it's like hanging out in a digital bar with a bunch of folks that are about freedom and liberty and understand that this system is rotten and corrupt to the core as it possibly could be folks it's it's a very bad place right now so where we left off ladies and gentlemen was deep into the history of technocracy we were getting into certain characters like rexford guy Tugwell. We were starting to talk about Franklin Roosevelt and the New Deal. I was showing you how technocracy has crept into our lives. It is basically the culture we are living in, which answers a lot of the questions we all have. How the heck did we get here? What are we living in? What is this new normal? What is this build back better? What is this great reset? What is this force industrial revolution? And so we are answering that. We understand that this stuff has been in the works for quite some time. Over the last few days, I've been in constant contact with maria albanese co-host of the thomas Paine podcast on fridays who helps do a lot of research for this show behind the scenes you know her as appearing on the thomas Paine podcast she's been on this show a couple of times she'll be back on soon i've been communicating with wide awake jim if you don't know who he is check out episode 80 of the dust and gold standard subscribe to pain.tv slash gold you can get access to all the charts all the graphs uh we put 
put them in there as downloadable files, as well as uh, displaying those during the video version of that four-hour-long podcast. We get in the history of the climate hustle, and we show you how that is leading up to central bank digital currency. Since I've been gone, crypto had a major uh, collapse, folks. This all ties into that system. I should be interviewing Jim for part two of our series tomorrow. That will be Wednesday, November 16th, and we'll put that out right away. We're doing multiple parts. He's going to get into Bank for International Settlements, the International Monetary Fund, United Nations. We're going to cover everything, and we're really going to show you when CBDC is coming and how they're going to roll it out. And Jim is going to make his assessments based on the thousands of pages of documents he's been reviewing as to when they can realistically pull this off so we can start to plan uh, for our future. Whether we decide that we are going to live one foot in the matrix and one foot out of the matrix, whether we're going to just give in and live within that system, that prison planet system, or we're going to try to get a piece of land to build a homestead, or we're going to try to get together, pool our resources. As many of you have been reaching out to me and said you'd be interested in that or having that type of discussion about getting a big piece of land and building out some sort of breakaway civilization. I am not opposed to that. I actually think that is a real solution. And so as we move forward, I'll be doing more shows on that as well. Be having some discussions with some developers, some farmers, some finance type people and talk about how that could actually happen. See if it's something that you guys might be interested in actually discussing. So Where I'm going next with this information, building out of the history of the technocracy, and there's much, much more to cover in that history lesson, but I'm going to start to show you coming out of the progressive era in the turn of the century, going back to the late 1800s, early 1900s, the growing eugenics movement and the sterilization movement that came out around the same time that the technocracy movement was building, sort of this coalition of the progressives, of the socialists, of the communists, of the Marxists, and uh, eventually of the fascists. And so the eugenics movement was building at the same time. And this would basically be like breeding or engineering a supreme race. Eugenics really kind of took a hit under uh, Nazi Germany tied to Adolf Hitler. And so it sort of dissipated for a while. But I will show you that that actually transitioned into what is now the transhumanist movement it never ended just like mk ultra never ended just like technocracy never ended so even though there are so-called historians these official narrative folks who tell you mk ultra mind control uh died off in 1964 when cia uh chemist Sidney gottlieb Uh, closed the program in 1964. That didn't actually happen, folks. We're seeing the psychedelics, the lab-grown, lab-developed psychedelics from the government being rolled out every day now. People have been sharing articles with me. So that never ended. And then we know that technocracy, although the historians tell us it died out when FDR's New Deal came into place to help fix the Great Depression, I have pretty clearly shown you, and I'm going to do a series of shows on this, showing that the New Deal was actually the beginning of pushing technocracy into our lifestyle, into our culture, basically taking over the so-called constitutional republic, 
although that system began to die really under the Civil War, if not when the Constitution actually came into effect and pushed out the Articles of Confederation. So you can look at it from a few different angles. But I will show you that this stuff has never ended and eugenics never ended. We just rebrand and we reconfigure. The problem is in the current day with all of the technology and the so-called science that our overlords have access to, they're actually able to implement these programs, unlike back in the early 1800s, going into the 1900s, 1920s, and when technocracy really took form in 1933. Now they actually have the technology to get it done. All right, big announcement. I was away for the last five days because my wife ended up giving birth to my beautiful, handsome son, William Christoph Gold. And so he was born on November 13th. He was two weeks, two days late. He was nine and a half pounds and 21 and a half inches so he is a tall tall boy like his daddy i'm six foot three and my wife's uh, father is six foot five so he was incredible full head of black hair my wife actually dreamt that's exactly what he was going to look like two weeks before he was born it was frankly the most amazing experience of my entire life my wife is a warrior she's my polish princess but she is a champion she labored uh at home for 44 hours and we ended up having to transfer into the hospital under the guidance of our midwifery team and our doula and we transferred into the hospital and um, she was in labor there for 12 hours and uh, it was incredible folks so what i am going to do uh, over the next two shows before i get into eugenics let's get into some happy talk uh, part of the purpose of this show really why i do this show i've told you it's about living one foot in the matrix and one foot out of the matrix learning the history uh, understanding where we are today and then being able to predict where we're going to be in the future so that we can better navigate the system and we can make decisions in our individual lives how much of this technology how much of this uh, fascist authoritarian system we're willing to put up with right so i want to focus the next two days on our experience uh, both um, dealing with this situation at home and then having to go to the hospital the last place that we wanted to be we did not plan for that but we did war game out various scenarios and so Part of what went into this birthing process was hundreds of hours of research and courses and birth classes and meetings with our midwifery team, conversations with our friends and allies in this natural life community, people that know homeopathy, people that know holistic medicine, talking to various doctors, eating farm fresh organic foods. I mean, we put the work in. And so we wargamed out almost every single scenario that could happen and could play out in this birth. And so when my wife finally went into labor naturally, which was a goal of hers, she was not induced, um, 
it was two weeks, two days late, folks, as, as many of you know, because you were reaching out to me the whole time asking if she had the baby yet. And so the baby was a big baby. And if we had been in the typical modern Rockefeller medical complex system from day one, she would have at least it would have been recommended by her doctor that she be induced at 40 weeks and they would have forced this baby out before he was actually ready to come and so that did not happen because we were prepared and surrounded by a good team we invested a considerable amount of money out of pocket without insurance to build this team we invested a lot of time researching this obviously one of the most important days of our lives so we put all the research behind it and i had a trusted team with me when we had to transfer into the hospital and so what i'm going to do today is there is a book I want to review with you because this is where our journey started. And then tomorrow's show, I am going to actually talk about the whole experience, uh, what went down at the hospital. And it's very important because I'm going to share exactly with you how my wife and I planned for this event. Because you can take the stories I'm going to share with you and translate those over to any experiences you may have dealing with the modern Rockefeller medical industrial complex or if you have to go to the hospital. But also it's going to be a show that focuses on how you can actually war game out these situations so that if you end up in a situation you don't really want to be in, how you can be the best advocate for for yourself or your spouse or your loved one or your child or grandchild like I was able to do over the last few days. And so I think it's important. I think it is okay for me to talk about this. My wife has given me permission to share this with you uh, eventually. And pretty quickly, I'm going to have on our doula one of our midwives, uh, we're going to have some conversations about how you get this done, how you prepare for these situations. But for the most part, uh, I was not arrested. So for the most part, I was able to keep my cool. There were enemies in the hospital system. There were allies that I built. Uh, I used my negotiating skills to be able to get us through this and to be able to uh, weigh in real time various outcomes based on turn of events, things that weren't necessarily going our way. But as you uh, work through the process, you are able to have a running list of the risks and a running list of the options. And you can start to make choices based on uh, realistic uh, opportunities that are in front of you and you have to weigh these things in real time pretty quickly and if I did not do all of the research and my wife and I did not war game this and come up with different scenarios it wouldn't have turned out the way it did which is upstairs there is a very healthy beautiful handsome boy uh, sucking on my wife's breast right now. Oh, he latched right away, folks. He loves that breast milk. And so uh, my wife is like, you know, essentially fully recovered uh, after two days. We didn't even spend the night in the hospital. The baby was born at 7 o'clock in the morning on November 13th, and I whisked them away before the hospital could do anything crazy uh, by 5 o'clock p.m. and got her home and have been 
tending to her and my child and everything is just great so over these next two episodes we're going to focus on natural life and the natural world and what happens when you get thrown into the matrix how you prepare for that and how you are ready to be your best advocate and how you can go to battle for the people that you love but none of this would have been possible the outcome would not have been possible without my wife who was literally a warrior a warrior laboring for a total of 56 hours before she gave birth she never shed a tear until the moment she held our son in her arms she seriously folks i always had a lot of respect for women but after this uh i look at my wife completely different i didn't think i could love her more than i did this made me love her a million times more in ways that i could never imagine plus now i know she can kick my butt folks she is a warrior so when i get back let me introduce you to this book it's not just a book on birth it's a book when i first read it i realized that if everyone on this planet read this book our world would be a much much more peaceful place a more natural place a much better place so ladies and gentlemen thank you for coming back to this show i will be right back from this short break my name is dustin gold you are listening to the dustin gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dustin gold standard on pain.tv join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold right here on the Dustin Gold Standard, and you are listening to Pain.tv slash gold, folks. This is Escape from the Matrix episode, Escape from the Matrix, and a happy birthday party for my son william king william ladies and gentlemen that's his name now we we went with william because my middle name is william and my father's middle name is william and his father's middle name was william and then my uh wife's father his name is Krzysztof, uh in polish i still can't pronounce it a hundred percent correct so we decided in the beginning i said to my wife all right listen whether it's a boy or a girl we didn't know we didn't want to know in fact we actually never did an ultrasound because um you know again i did a lot of research and on a lot we're going to get into this in the next show all the research that we did and so i weighed the risks and uh, we talked about it we decided not to do an ultrasound at 22 weeks and and then we were going to weigh any sort of signs that we saw that there might be some problems and decide if we have to one of the big things we agreed on in the beginning was we were going to do the least amount of stuff as possible and then rely on our midwife team to weigh certain risks based on checkups and stuff with my wife and then we would opt into certain 
practices if we deem them to be necessary when the risks outweighed the rewards. And so an ultrasound was something that we really wanted to stay away from, and we were able to do that through the entire process. Although the day that she went in, she actually went into labor on the night of November 10th at 11 o'clock at night. I was recording a show. I came upstairs and contractions had started. Well, the next morning at 11 a.m., we had an ultrasound scheduled because the midwife team you know, due to liability and they want to protect the mother and the child, they make you get an ultrasound at 42 weeks. So I had kept talking into my wife's belly and was saying, listen, little guy or little girl, um, I've kept you away from the ultrasound microwave uh, this entire time, but tomorrow it's out of our control and they're going to have to do an ultrasound. So you better get out of here in the next couple of days. And so, boom, she goes into labor the night of 11 10 and we ended up canceling the ultrasound in the morning on november 11th which happened to be uh, poland independence day we thought he was going to be born that day but of course he had to extend it out two more days so we'll get into all of that stuff um but what i want to do oh and and before i get started with this book because once this happens i know i'm going to get lost in it there are hundreds of you uh, between Twitter and pain.tv slash gold who have written us, you know, prayers and well wishes. I think Mike Moore over at the Thomas Payne podcast might have posted something on pain.tv slash gold. So I thank you all really from the bottom of my heart. I read every one of them uh, to my wife while she was uh, recovering. And so, I mean, it's a blessing and a very humbling experience to know that there's so many people out there that I've never met and never spoken to that actually care i've been candid and transparent with you and i share uh you know my stories my personal life i think that's the way it should be that's one of the ways that i could build trust with you so that when i'm researching and analyzing information that you guys know that you can trust me and if you don't have time to go read thousands of pages of documents on certain subjects you can trust that i actually did it i'm giving you my honest assessment and opinion so i decided from the beginning of this show to be myself and to be very transparent with my life my past my family what i'm doing i've talked about my divorce i've talked about um, you know, having to work in gig work during COVID. I talked about my photography business in Nashville going sort of belly up for a while during the pandemic or COVID land, the high school theater production. I've talked about all that stuff, folks. So um, I just want to be up front with you. So many of you guys sent well wishes and prayers, and I thank you. There's also people that asked, you know, if they could send something uh, to the baby, and I appreciate that as well. But I'm just not comfortable giving out my uh, address on the public side of this podcast because I'm sure there's a lot of people that don't like me, although I'm sure if you looked hard enough, you could figure it out, but I'm just not comfortable with doing that. So I was setting this up anyway because, again, I'll be transparent. So in this business, which it is a business, I'm finally, I I mean, my whole life I've worked for myself uh, for 20 years. I really never worked for anybody except right out of college. And so I've always worked on projects. I've worked as a consultant. I was in design and marketing and then corporate entertainment. Um, 
and then in the photography marketing business. So I've done a lot of things. I've always worked for myself. And when the opportunity came up here for me to do my own show on Mike's Network, I said, you know what? I'm going to do this. COVID land, the high school theater production is over. My divorce is over. It's time to move on. It's time to get back into something creative. And I happen to have a very supportive wife who said to me, listen, you're very intelligent. You're very passionate about the things you talk about. You produce other people's shows. You've gone on podcasts. You've been a guest. You've been a co-host. It's time to do this. It's time to just put the gig work aside, stop sulking, get back to your life. We've got a baby on a way. And I said, well, starting a business is like having a baby. Should we really have two babies at the same time? And she's said, listen, you need to do this. You need to go share the information you have. So I did that. Now, there's multiple ways to monetize a podcast. Uh, I'm only in the early stages of this podcast. Eventually, we're going to be doing more videos and documentaries. I told you about a book we're working on. So you can monetize via ad revenue, which is basically what you hear if you're listening to this on the free side. You can monetize uh, via host read ads. Mike does some of that. Sponsorships. I'm not big enough to do that yet. I'm eventually going to go down that path. I'll be very careful with host read ads. I will never market a product to you that I don't believe in and I don't use. I don't want you guys ever getting upset with me. I don't want you to feel like I conned you. So they will only be products that I use and seek out uh, myself and that I know who the owners are. I will never be reading my pillow ads or anything like that. No matter how much money they pay, I will never go down that road because my integrity means more to me than the dollar. Um, you can monetize by selling merchandise, which eventually when I have more time, we get a little bigger. I do have some t-shirts and designs on ideas I've been working on for years, and I will put some of that stuff out. You can monetize via subscriptions, which is what we do over at pain.tv slash gold. I had decided when I got into this, I, I built many websites and designed many platforms for people over the years, for clients of mine when I was in the entertainment management business, and I just didn't want to get into having to manage an entire website site myself. So that was part of the reason why I decided to join forces with uh, Mike Moore. I had given him some tips on how to build pain.tv slash gold about two years ago. And so when this came up, I said, hey, I, I would rather just partner with you and merge with you on that platform than have to go build another one. So that's how I'm able to make some money and put food on the table is through subscriptions. When you join pain.tv slash gold, either the basic or the hot wire. And then I am working on a uh, third tier there. And I'm going to start doing audio books on all of the old technocracy documents and books that are not turned into audiobooks that I find interesting. So you'll have access to that library. So those are some of the ways I do it. Uh, in this rocky environment with censorship, I don't know if Mike has gotten into what happened with him with Spotify, but there are certain things that occur when you are speaking the truth and you are not tied into uh, certain networks funded by certain supposed you know billionaire people on the right. If you're not part of the influencer grifter network, you end up getting censored. So at any time, you can lose your ad revenue. You could be thrown off of YouTube and different places. So one of the things I was going to deploy was a donate link, which is more of a YouTube ad revenue model, not necessarily podcast. Uh, Mike just deployed one because some of the things that had happened to him over the last couple of months. So I decided to put it up. I don't like to look like I'm holding out a tin cup, but if you guys appreciate the show and you want to donate a little bit of money, 
money, that is totally fine with me. I'm not going to say no. There's people who have asked me to put something up the last couple of months. I just didn't do it because I am actually kind of shy that way. I would rather put out the show and monetize it through ads and figure out how to bring in money that way. But now with the baby here, and obviously we have more expenses, uh, we had to go into the hospital, which we'll get into, which we weren't planning on. So there's going to be some expenses there. So if you guys want to do that, I set up a donor link. It's donor box, D-O-N-O-R-B-O-X, donorbox.org slash Dustin Gold Show. And I'll start including that link in the description underneath the podcast. So if you'd like to do that, if you wanted to send a, a gift or something to William, just write in the comment, this is a gift to William. I mean, you'll never know this for sure, but you have my word. I will be putting that into an account, which we already set up, um, that will be for him. So any kind of gifts will go in there, and then eventually, I don't know, that might go towards building uh, out a homestead in the next couple of years as we go down that path, which eventually he will inherit everything. Everything my wife and I do from this point on is building an empire for William. So if you want to do that, I really do appreciate it. Uh, it's either going to put food on the table. It's going to allow me to get some additional equipment I need as I start to do more man on the street work, more uh, video work that we're putting together for the future. So it's either going to go directly into the business, put food on the table, or it'll go into a little account for William and expenses towards uh, everything for him. He, As of right now, he's not going to need additional medical care. He's healthy uh, as a horse. So feel free to do that, folks. And if you do, I really appreciate it. It just helps fund the show. I'm trying to be transparent with you. I'm not going to be tricky. I'm not a grifter. I'm not a hustler. Uh, I mean, I hustle, but I'm not a, I'm not a con man. So if you want to do that, it's donorbox.org slash Dustin gold show and again every dollar will go to either help grow this show or it will be put into a separate fund for our son so however you want to do it i really do appreciate it all right folks this book and i'm holding this up for the uh, video audience so you can see it it is called birth without violence and this was written by friedrich uh Leboyer. Uh, and we're going to get into this as soon as I get back. Trust me. Trust me. You're going to want to hear this. The first time I read it, it brought tears to my eyes, folks. It was a book my mother told us to read as soon as we announced that my wife was pregnant. My mother read this book prior to her giving birth to me, and it completely changed the way that she went about her uh, birthing process. And so I wanted to read this to you on November 11th. My wife, again, went into labor on November 10th in the evening, and then, uh, you know, the contractions weren't really strong. We were up in the morning of the 11th, and I was going to come down here and read this and announce that my wife was in labor. And she said, go do it, go do it, go talk to the audience, go do this, it's important. You've been talking about that book. And I just couldn't leave her side. I didn't leave her side through the entire process. Uh, basically, I got about an hour of sleep over almost three days. And so I want to do this now before I get into our personal experiences and teach you about how we navigated this system. So I want to read this because it's a beautiful book. Uh, and frankly, I think you should hear this book before we get into 
into the deep dark world of eugenics because this is how the natural world uh, should operate this is the beauty of the magic of life which is everything people like myself and i assume you are fighting for we want to promote and support the natural world and fight back against this technocratic transhumanist prison planet matrix that these weirdo scientists and these freaks are trying to push on us so folks when i get back we will read this book to you ladies and gentlemen i am dustin gold with the dustin gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dustin gold standard on pain.tv join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.TV. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. I am Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. All right, folks. So this book is called Birth Without Violence. It says the book that is revolutionizing the way we bring our children into the world. It says Friedrich LeBoyer who has himself delivered more than 10,000 babies, presents his radical yet supremely simple techniques for easing the birth trauma and helping the new human being to start life without pain, confusion, and fear. And so again, my mother uh, told us to read this book. Uh, Interesting. So my mom, she obviously did not know about midwives back then or she would have done a home birth she wanted to do a water birth and for those of you who haven't heard about that it's when a woman you basically go into a pool it's about the size of a jacuzzi and you give birth uh, to the child in the pool and there's multiple advantages to that um, for the mom and for the baby and so for the mom it creates buoyancy okay so when you're going into contractions when your uterus is squeezing down uh, and tightening and helping push the baby out throughout the whole laboring process your body is actually fighting against itself because you're using your abdominal muscles to pull up on your belly right that's how you carry your belly at the same time the uterus is trying to squeeze and push the baby down so you end up fighting yourself and that's where a lot of the laboring pains come in so when you're in the water um, your belly is naturally sort of floating from the buoyancy and you're able to focus more on pushing the baby out and so across this whole process uh, my wife and i took a lot of water classes i went to her pretty much to every single one except maybe two uh, aqua classes everything from deep water that's when you're in the deep end of the pool and you basically wear a floaty sort of diaper and you're doing like richard simmons style aerobics in the deep end of the pool we had a very good instructor uh carrie who came to our baby shower she has been uh, become one of our friends and so carrie was the instructor for all of those classes and really got into breathing in 
in all the the properties of breathing which maggie my wife used uh in labor continuously i kept saying remember carrie remember carrie and so uh, we took a lot of water classes because we thought they would help with the uh, birthing pool and uh, we also took water yoga water pilates uh, i chi which is this uh, japanese form of water breathing and relaxation it means love energy I'll get into some of this in future shows. I'll probably have Carrie on the show to talk about this. And so we did a lot of those classes to help us with the water birth. Some of the benefits to the child is the child actually comes from a warm, wet place, you know, inside a mommy's belly and then comes out into warm, wet water. They have uh, sort of these sensors in their nose and they don't take a breath in generally uh, until they hit the air. So it's sort of moving them into the warm air and then you lift them out of the water. And then they take their first breath. And so my mom wanted to do that, but the hospitals didn't offer it back then. Now there's several hospitals that have birthing centers in them and midwives that work in there, and you can do this. Uh, We had a birthing pool set up in what is going to be or what has become the baby's nursery. I bought a projector, like a, a little, yeah, they're like $80 now, a movie projector. Uh, not hooked up to smart technology, by the way, and then a projection screen, and my wife loves to hike. She loves the outdoors. Actually, she uh, one time hiked 21 miles in a 24-hour period, and so I set up a screen, and I was able to get some really good 4K, not choppy or bouncy, really smooth videos of hiking, so I had that projected up on the screen, and we had some really relaxing music playing, and so we used the birthing pool, and part of the process, you know, unfortunately, she wasn't able to deliver in the pool. We'll get into that in the next show, but uh, we tried, and it was really relaxing. I think actually almost too relaxing, and I'll, and I'll explain that in the, in the next show, but that is uh, this whole process. So my mom had said, I recommend reading this book. So she put some of these things into practice. She had a really cooperative doctor back uh, in 1981 when I was born. Okay, inside this book, and folks, I don't know if you're going to be able to find this book. When I bought this, I was able to find three used copies, one on Amazon and two on some used books website. And I ordered all three. There was actually a case of uh, 300 that someone had on eBay, like an original edition print. And I almost bought the whole case because I wanted to give them out. And I figured, oh, you know what? I'm getting them so cheap I could sell some and maybe make a little bit of a profit. And I didn't end up doing it. I actually regret it. But eventually, if I see some available, I'm going to get them. This is a book, whether you are going into uh, labor, whether you're pregnant, you know, or you know someone who's pregnant, or your daughter's pregnant, or your son's wife is pregnant, uh, that I recommend people read. But not only uh, people who are pregnant or are going to be giving birth, I recommend everyone reads this book. I think it would actually make the world a much better place. It would make us value life much more than we do. And it would make us fully understand that when we bring a life into the world, the ways in which we should think about that and how we do it. Because sometimes we make it about ourselves or we even make it more 
more about the mom when it's really about the baby. I mean, mom has to be comfortable and mom has to be healthy, but we are bringing a human being into the world for the first time. And so that day, that process should revolve around that child. Now, we had to make some sacrifices due to certain risks that had come up in the pregnancy, and that's okay. I mean, we did what we needed to do, and in the end, uh, and I'll get into this on the next show, uh, as the person who was of sound mind at the time and who had to make the decisions, there were certain sacrifices I had to make, and as painful as those were, uh, when weighed against certain risks that were coming into play, uh, I had to make smart decisions, and I had to protect both my wife and the child from certain things that were on our list of never want this to happen. We do not want this to happen. Avoid this at all costs. So we made these choices on the fly, and we were a team, and that's how we were able to pull through this and to get about half of what we wanted. And on the end of the day, uh, we can explain to William, uh, he didn't get everything we wanted, but I think mom and dad worked and fought to make that day the best day of his life because it is the most important that is the day they come into this world and as crazy as this world is and you start to think when you're someone like me how irresponsible is it to bring someone into this crazy world at the same time it is our responsibility to have children and to keep you know the human species alive and to keep our bloodlines going and to fight back against the system one of the best things you can do is to have children and to raise them correctly and build our future leaders and future freedom fighters all right folks so inside the jacket i'm just going to read you this it says this is the history making book that asks us for the first time to focus our attention on the infant just born to examine and radically change what is being done in hospitals all over the world to the human being who has just emerged after hours of unavoidable tumult and pain from the once peaceful womb. This is the book that shows us for the first time how we can achieve for our children a birth without violence with all its momentous implications for the quality of human life, not only on the first day, but through all the days thereafter. The man who makes this plea to the world is Friedrich Leboyer, whose revolutionary yet supremely simple techniques for easing the birth trauma are stirring passionate interest everywhere. Leboyer has himself delivered more than 10,000 babies. Of these, the last 1,000 have been brought into the world in the new way that he here fully, clearly, and simply describes for the first time. Why, Leboyer asks, must a new human being emerging from the dark darkness and silence of the womb be brought out into a blaze of blinding lights and loud voices why he asks must we make the child's first breath a traumatic and fiery agony when nature has supplied the means for a far gentler initiation into the act of breathing why when the vulnerable spine has been curved do we insist on holding the newcomer upside down and jerking the back straight why is the baby after the terrifying experience of being separated from the womb then instantly separated from the mother why in short do we treat the infant not as a human being but as an object we do it says laboyer not because we are cruel but because we have never really thought about the infant and he shows us exactly how we can do uh, exactly what we can do 
do to replace the ugly mask of terror that we have until now taken for granted in the newborn with the peaceful, rapt expression that is so moving in the photographs of babies delivered without violence. LeBoyer's argument convinces the simplicity and practicality of his methods astonish. Uh, the simplicity and practicality of his methods astonish. To read this book is to say yes. And this is illustrated with 40 photographs, jacket designed by Betty Anderson. And so uh, I just want to let you know, when was this written, folks? This was written in 1976, uh, printed by Alfred A. Knopf, K-N-O-P-F. And if you're looking for it, it is called Birth Without Violence. So, folks, when I get back, I'm going to read from this book. Trust me, it is well worth it, ladies and gentlemen. This is a beautiful story, a beautiful story to counter all of the darkness and the horrible things that we have to discuss here. And you will see, based on the first 86 episodes of this show, how far away from the natural world we have come ladies and gentlemen and these practices some of which are still in practice today in the hospitals some of which i had to fight against in this system the next show is going to be amazing because i'm going to share all of the horrible experiences that we had at the hospital the battles that i had to wage in order to protect my wife and our at the time unborn child so when i get back ladies and gentlemen birth without violence my name is dustin gold with the dustin gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dustin gold standard on pain.tv Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. Welcome back to pain.tv slash gold. You are listening. To the Dustin Gold Standard, folks. All right, let me just show you for the uh, video audience that picture right there. That is the gentleman who wrote this loving book. And so it just says here, Friedrich Laboyer, born in 1918, was graduated from the School of Medicine, University of Paris, where he became the chef de clinique in 1954-1955 before devoting himself completely to his obstetrical practice. He has since 1953 delivered 10,000 babies and initiating the new techniques he describes in Birth Without Violence. His book, already a bestseller in France, is also being published in England, Germany, Sweden, Brazil, Italy, Holland, and other countries. And this is back again in 1976, folks. So, I'm on part one right here. There's a quote. It says, to be born is to suffer uh, by Guatama. It says, do you believe that birth is an enjoyable experience for the baby? Birth? Enjoyable? You heard me. Do you believe that babies feel happy coming into this world? You're joking. Why should I be joking? Because babies are just babies. Why is that supposed to mean? 
that babies aren't capable of intense feeling. What makes you so certain? Babies don't have fully developed feelings. How do you know? Well, don't you agree? If I did, I wouldn't be asking. But everybody knows they don't. Since when has that ever been a good reason to believe anything? True, but newborn babies can't see or even hear. So how can they feel unhappy? Even if they can't see or hear, that doesn't stop them from crying their hearts out. A baby has to test its lungs. That's common knowledge. Nonsense. Well, that's what people say. People say all kinds of stupid things. But do you really believe that babies feel nothing at all while they're being born? Folks, come on. Do you not love this guy already? Those are all the questions we ask all the time. This is a doctor questioning people who say you know this is true really prove it to me all right let's continue it says obviously they don't i'm not so sure after all young children suffer overwhelming agonies about things that seem quite trivial to us they feel a thousand times more intensely than we do yes i know but newborn babies are so tiny what does size have to do with it well and why do they scream so loud if they're not in some kind of pain or misery? I don't know, a reflex, I suppose, but I'm sure they're not feeling anything. But why aren't they? Because they have no conscious awareness. Ah, so you think that means they have no soul. I don't know about the soul, but this consciousness, why is it so important? Consciousness is the beginning of a being, uh, uh, the beginning of being a person. Are you trying to tell me that babies aren't fully human because they're not fully conscious? Tell me more. Look at this, folks. So this is back in 1976, and Friedrich is talking about consciousness. Sounds quite familiar, right? With these technocratic transhumanists who believe they can upload their consciousness to a cloud. And as he says, consciousness comes from the soul. And I mentioned on this show before, these folks can try to build an artificial brain, artificial intelligence. They can build robots and cyborgs and genetic hack because they are just hackers and they are pirates and they are thieves and they are criminals and they are nothing more than a bunch of pirates but they cannot duplicate the soul and that is what ticks these people off folks that is what makes them upset and so friedrich acknowledges that consciousness comes from their soul and so i think you can start to see why i find this book to be so beautiful and if everyone read this we would be in a different world and people would be rejecting the ideas of technocratic transhumanism all right, it goes on to say, how many times have I heard that kind of discussion? It leads nowhere. Things are simple. It's we who complicate them. When children come into the world, the first thing they do is cry, and everyone rejoices. My baby's crying, the mother exclaims happily, astonished that something so small can make so much noise. And does uh, and how does everyone else react? The reflexes are normal. The machine works. But are we machines? Aren't cries always an expression of pain? Isn't it conceivable that the baby is in anguish? What makes us assume that birth is less painful for the child than it is for the mother? And if it is, does anyone care? No one, I'm afraid, judging by how little attention we pay to a baby when it arrives. What a tragedy that we're all so determined to believe that this thing can't hear, can't see, can't feel. So how could it feel pain? It cries. It howls. So, in short, it 
is an object, but what if it is already a person? And folks, now you know, I think, why I am so passionate about the things I talk about. I've been researching this stuff for many, many years, been involved with different elements of politics, political issues, you know, uh, political analysis. But I've been studying technocracy and transhumanism and the power elite for many years. But it wasn't until about seven months ago that I read this book, and it really clicked for me. It made me understand exactly what it was I was actually fighting for, not just what I was fighting against. And so when we talked about on several episodes synthetic wombs and designer babies and DNA spliced gene hacked designer children, you know, that is totally the opposite of this. Could you imagine growing a human baby, something with a soul, something with consciousness inside of a synthetic womb? It doesn't even come from its own mother. All right, it goes on to say, already a person. That is a contradiction of everything we believe. Common sense suggests we begin by looking at the facts, which tell us absolutely nothing. Because babies can't actually tell us anything. They don't speak in words, nor do porpoises or birds. But that doesn't prevent them from communicating. Are there languages without words? Of course, we know there are. Only our vanity keeps us from acknowledging them just watch someone accidentally swallow something boiling hot and you see how eloquently he speaks without words he leaps up hops from foot to foot frantically waves his hands his face is contorted his eyes are watering whether he is from moscow mombasa or miami he's managed to say i burn myself and say it without using a single word and compared to being born burning your throat is nothing at all if there's one thing a newborn baby doesn't lack it's the ability to express itself newborn babies don't talk let's wait a moment before making up our minds what more proof do we need that tragic expression those tight shut eyes those twitching eyebrows that howling mouth that squirming head trying desperately to find refuge those hands stretching out to us imploring begging then retreating to shield its face that gesture of dread those furiously kicking feet those arms that suddenly pull downward to protect the stomach the flesh that is one great shudder This baby is not speaking. Every inch of the body is crying out, don't touch me. And at the same time pleading, don't leave me, help me. Has there ever been a more heart-trending appeal? And so let me just show you to the video audience in this book. There are some amazing uh, photographs. So we're looking at a photograph of a baby with the umbilical cord still intact. And it's covered with vernix, which is that uh, white powdery looking uh, sort of dry slime all over the body, which actually you shouldn't wash that off right away. Um, Our baby didn't have that much because he was uh, cooking in mommy's belly for an extra two weeks and two days. And so it starts to to wear off. But that's covered with a lot of, uh, there's a lot of uh, anti- um, uh, bacterial properties in that it helps develop a natural immunity so you really shouldn't wash that off for the baby and let it naturally come off uh, over the first few days 
of their birth. Um, we still have not washed William. He smells fine. We cleaned up his hair a little. We cleaned his face. Uh, but overall, whatever was left of the vernix, you let it come off naturally. Okay, it goes on to say, and yet this appeal, as old as birth itself, has been misunderstood, has been ignored, has simply gone unheard. How can this have been? How can this still be? A newborn baby doesn't speak. No, it is we who do not listen it is we who do not listen very valuable lesson folks you're not listening to the words of the baby goes on to say and so we begin to wonder this little creature already a person suffering howling with grief but it's so young so small again something in us resists doesn't wish to hear refuses to believe we close our eyes we guard our precious peace of mind clearly we find it intolerable to look to see pictures of newborn infants are just not bearable they could equally well be pictures of criminals who have undergone torture and or about to die people turn away and say no i can't stand it or suffering do you really believe they are suffering what you won't see can't hurt you Others try to argue, but it isn't possible. Birth isn't like that, or we'd know about it. You're showing us an infant being tortured, a baby in the hands of sadists. No, it's nothing like that. It's only birth. No monsters, no sadists, just people like you and me, people whose minds are elsewhere. And so now there's another uh, picture of a child there crying, covered in the vernix, folks, all scrunched up, its mouth open goes on to say they have eyes but do not see blind men and women whose eyes are wide open do you want to watch them at it watch a small creature has just been born the father and mother gaze at it with delight the young practitioners share their joy so again there's there's another picture now of a baby in a little bath and uh, now this is a dreadful one they don't really do this anymore but this is uh, a couple of doctors with a mother the baby's just delivered they're holding it upside down by its two feet and it's covering its head in uh, pain and agony and they've got it held upside down like a like a fish at a uh, dockside fish market folks it goes on to say one dazzling smile lights up all their faces they radiate happiness all of them that is except the child the child oh dear god it can't be true this mask of agony of horror these hands above all these hands clasping the head this is the gesture of someone struck by lightning the gesture you see in the mortally wounded the moment before they die can birth hold so much suffering so much pain while the parents look on in ecstasy oblivious no we can't accept it and yet it's true why is the young doctor smiling why does he look so pleased out of happiness for the child not really he's completed his delivery he's succeeded at something that's not always so easy the infant is there crying loudly as it's supposed to be the mother is safe everything is turned out for the best the doctor smiles with relief he is justifiably pleased with himself but what about the mother radiant expression ecstatic smile 
but what is she smiling about? The beauty of her child? Not really. All right, so here's a close-up of that baby upside down, its mouth open, holding its head. And uh, I will get into the episode when I talk about our personal experience, the doctor that we ended up having to use at the hospital who, frankly, oh, you'll hear my words on this gentleman, folks, Dr. Uh, Simmons, Simmons, Uh, not the most pleasant gentleman, folks. All right, so it goes on to say she's smiling because it's over. She has completed her delivery without all the suffering the uh, she was dreading. She's amazed and relieved and justifiably proud of herself. She's smiling with delight. She's pleased with herself. And who can blame her? Finally, what about the father? A happy man. There will be a new generation. A baby who will grow up to reproduce, trait for trait, its father's perfections. And finally, this man, who may never before have truly created anything, has created a child. And so he is proud and pleased, but pleased with himself. Yes, everyone is pleased with themselves. As for the child, is there anything we can do? Happily, there is some hope. You will give birth in pain, says the Bible, but today a woman can give birth joyfully, a miracle. But how can she be joyful while her child is still being crucified? It cannot be. Should the woman then renounce her joy? No, certainly not. We simply now do for the child what we have already done for the mother, or at least we must try ladies and gentlemen what i'm going to do here is try to take a quick break my name is dustin gold stick with me folks i'm telling you this is one of the most important books of our time we research we dissect and we analyze the evil people that are controlling this world but sometimes we have to focus on the good people the people who try to bring love and joy and peace to this world someone like dr friedrich ladies and gentlemen i am dustin gold i'll be right back this is dustin gold with the dustin gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dustin gold standard on pain.tv join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dustin gold standard on pain.tv Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. I am Dustin Gold, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. Folks, honestly, this is a nice break. A bridge from all the excitement of our baby boy being born to when I have to get into eugenics and forced sterilization and get into transhumanism i'd like to do a little positive stuff first and it will further help you understand uh, who i am where i come from when i'm talking about this this is not just a job for me this is the way i feel it comes from my heart it comes from my soul folks i will fight for humanity although many humans tick me off quite often in fact probably the large majority but i will fight for humanity and the natural world and so part of reading this book is doing just that folks and it will help you understand why i am so opposed to artificial intelligence robotics transhumanism dna hacking synthetic wombs smart technology and everything else out there 
that is designed to actually destroy humanity, to help engineer humanity out of existence. And so this book is the exact opposite of that. All right, again, we're reading from the 1976 published book, Birth Without Violence. We're on part 10, uh, part 9 here. It says, where can we begin? The mother is being prepared for her most almost painless delivery. But what can we do to prepare the child and when? When is it still in the womb? Are fine electrodes the answer inserted into the tiny skull through the mother's stomach? For God's sakes, no. Although these days technology is capable of such things. But that is not our way. We must begin by understanding understanding why the newborn infant suffers so much the answer answer is contained in the question and to ask why do babies suffer while being born is to open our ears at least to what they have been crying out so desperately for so long we must listen to them we must try to hear to understand and we will be halfway there What makes being born so frightful is the intensity, the boundless scope and variety of the experience, its suffocating richness. People say and believe that a newborn baby feels nothing. He feels everything, everything, utterly without choice or filter or discrimination. Birth is a tidal wave of sensation surpassing anything we can imagine a sensory experience so fast we can barely conceive of it the baby's senses are at work totally they are sharp and open new what are our senses compared to theirs and the sensations of birth are rendered still more intense by contrast with what life was like before Yes, the senses were already at work long before the baby was here, among us in our world. Admittedly, these sensations are not yet organized into integrated, coherent perceptions, which makes them all the stronger, all the more violent, unbearable, literally maddening. Let us begin with sight. It is claimed that a newborn infant is blind. Judging by the abundance of blinding lights that are used during deliveries everywhere, this must be a universal postulate. Don't they aim lamps and floodlights at the new arrival? Of course. Who would dim lights for a blind man? These lights are certainly convenient for the attending physician. But what about the baby? When the infant's head is barely out of its mother's genital passage, while its body is still captive, you see the eyes opening and shutting. Immediately, violently, the tiny face presents an indiscriminable picture of suffering, and the familiar cry bursts out. If seeing means being able to construct mental images out of what the eyes are exposed to then no the newborn infant doesn't see not yet but if seeing is perceiving light then yes the infant does see vividly the baby has the same love the same thirst for the light that plants and flowers have the baby is mad for this light drunk with it so much so that we should be uh, we should take infinite precautions we should offer it infinitely slow 
In fact, the baby is so sensitive to light that he or she perceives it while still in the mother's womb. If a woman more than six months pregnant is naked in the sunlight, the infant within her sees it as a golden haze. And now this little creature, so sensitive to the light, is thrust suddenly out of its dark cavern and its eyes are exposed to floodlights? The infant howls aloud. And why should this surprise us? Its eyes have just been burned. Would we choose to drive an infant mad without pain? Mad with pain? The poor little child squeezes its eyes shut. But what help is the fragile, transparent barrier of its eyelids? They say a newborn child is blind. No, it is blinded. And what about hearing? Is the baby deaf? No more than blind. By the time babies are actually born, their ears have already been serving them for a long time. While they are still in the womb, the noises of their mother's bodies reach them. Joints cracking, intestinal rumblings, and giving the rhythm to it all is the strong drumbeat of the mother's heart. And then her voice, the mother's voice, which sets its stamp on the child forever. Each voice is unique, inimitable, the way fingerprints are. The unborn baby is marked by its mother's voice, its nuances, its inflections, its moods, and that is not all. Just as they perceive the light, unborn infants perceive the sounds of the world, despite the thickness of the mother's stomach wall. They receive them the way fish do, through the waters in which they bathe. Sounds modulated, transformed, and then birth. Sounds muted until now, suddenly strike the young arrival with all their force. The waters have vanished. The protective shield of the mother's stomach is gone. The young ears are suddenly vulnerable. Nothing protects them any longer from the world's uproar the infant is born into a thunderous explosion it convulses should we be surprised the world cries out the child gives an answering cry once again it is we who are deaf how can we know what a child is hearing as it's born who bothers to lower his voice in the delivery room there is more shouting than speaking come on push push again again and in the general excitement when the child emerges more exclamations new explosions of sound how does the infant react again by cradling its head in its hands the newborn instant deaf no it is not poor little creature what a fate to be born and to fall into our hands victim of our ignorance and cruelty it has been blinded and deafened what about its sense of touch its skin thin fine almost without a protective surface layer is as exposed and raw as tissue that has suffered a burn the slightest touch makes it quiver an infant even trembles when someone comes near it until birth, its skin knew only the velvet caress of membrane. Then suddenly, it is wrapped in harsh fabrics. Newborn babies arrive in our world as if on a carpet of thorns. They'll adapt to it by withdrawing into themselves, by deadening their senses. But when they first land on these thorns, they howl naturally. And idiots that we are, we laugh. And all this 
is only the beginning. Yes, this hell exists, and it burns. It is not a fable. This hell does not come at the end of our life. It is here at the beginning. Hell is what the infant must suffer through to arrive here among us. Its flames assail the child from every direction. They burn the eyes, the skin, penetrate down through the flesh. They devour. This fire is what the infant feels as the air rushes into the lungs. The air which enters and sweeps through the trachea and expands the alveoli is like acid poured on a wound. This is no exaggeration. We have only to watch someone trying to inhale cigarette smoke for the first time. It's nothing to the habitual smoker. His saturated membranes have long ago given up the battle. But the novice, whose tissues are still reasonably undamaged, no sooner takes a lungful of smoke than he explodes in a frantic effort to get rid of its intolerable burning. His eyes water. His face turns crimson. Ha, ha, ha. That's just me coughing, folks. Or a Imagine a child who, fooled by the colorlessness of pure alcohol, accidentally drinks it in place of water. No sooner does it reach the child's throat than it is vomited back up in a single violent reaction, while tears mix with his trembling hiccups and he flushes scarlet. For the infant coming into this world, the burning sensation of his air entering the lungs surpasses every other horror. Seared to its very depths, the entire body quivers, shudders with horror, protests. Everything struggles to repulse the enemy. And this is the baby's cry, the cry that marks and celebrates the passage into life. This is a no, a passionate, violent protest. A cry that, it is, that is as desperate as it is useless, since this thing must be. For it is only the first of all the breaths that are to follow, and each burns more than the one before. And is this all? Alas, no. When the infant emerges, the doctor seizes it by one foot and holds it up, dangling it head down. As usual, his intentions are good. The infant's body is in fact quite slippery, coated as it is with vernix. The, sh the thick white grease that covers it from head to toe. The infant is held by the foot to prevent it from slipping and falling. Such a handhold is sure, convenient, convenient for us. And for the infant, what does it feel? Finding itself suddenly upside down. Indescribable vertigo. Those who have nightmares in which they plunge suddenly into a void are familiar with the sensation. It stems directly from this moment during their birth. To understand the full horror of such a fall into the abyss, it is essential that we go back for a moment to the mother's womb. We know very little about our body, so little that we forget the importance of the spine. It is behind us, yet it rules our every mood. Whether vibrant and gay, lethargic and sad, strength is in the back, fear between the shoulder blades. Our states of mind are really the states of our back. And to understand the horror of the shock we inflict on an infant, when we suspend it by its feet, we must first realize what the back is undergoing at that moment. To measure the difference between its before and its now. Before, 
was what the backbone experienced when, with great difficulty, the infant was trying to find its way into the world. In fact, we must return even further, return into the mother's uterus, and there we must relive what this spine has undergone. Ladies and gentlemen, I am going to undergo a short break. Stick with me, folks. I'm telling you, this is worth it. This book encompasses everything that we are fighting for and that we fight against. This is the purest form of bringing a child into this world naturally who then has to navigate through this hellhole of a world. Maybe if children were treated this way, if they were born this way, we wouldn't have so many psychopaths out there working in the world of science and engineering. These Frankenstein doctors who don't care about humanity, who have no love for the natural world. Maybe if they were born without violence, we would not have the problem that we face today. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll be right back. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. Folks, we are reading Birth Without Violence, a book written in 1976 by Dr. Friedrich LeBoyer, ladies and gentlemen. This is uh, my favorite book ever written. Everything I'm fighting for, ladies and gentlemen. It goes on to say a baby's life passes through two stages in the womb, two seasons of equal duration, which oppose each other like winter and summer. The first is the golden age, the embryonic stage when the infant is like a small plant growing and blossoming, anchored. The embryo becomes the fetus. The plant becomes animal. Movement comes to it, beginning as the trunk, spreading outward to the extremities. The fetus stirs, takes pleasure in its limbs and in its freedom. Supported by waters all around it, the fetus is weightless, light as a bird, agile and lively as a fish. Its contentment and freedom are limitless, as is its kingdom whose boundaries it brushes against from time to time. For in this first half of pregnancy, the egg, the membrane which contains the fetus and the fluids in which it is bathed, grows more rapidly than the child. Fast as the infant develops, its kingdom grows faster. So the baby never suffers from a sense of confinement. Yet, Yes, its confinement is unlimited, and the photographs we have of it at this stage show a completely relaxed expression. A vision of serenity. This is the golden age, but it doesn't last. In the depths of the womb, the infant has been overtaken by natural law, the law of universal revolution, which stipulates that everything must become its opposite. 
Midway through the pregnancy, everything changes. The infant continues to grow and to develop rapidly, but the egg that contains him grows only slightly by comparison. His tribulations begin. The baby begins to feel closed in. Slowly, the universe is contracting. What was once unbounded space becomes more confining each day. Gone is the limitless ocean of early and happier days. That absolute freedom is no more. Welcome to Earth, little man. Welcome to Earth. That's me, folks. All right, let's continue. And one day the baby finds itself a prisoner, and in such a prison, the cell so small that the prisoner's body touches the walls, all of them at once, walls that draw nearer all the time, to the point when one day the infant's back and the mother's uterus seem to be fused together. For a long time, the little creature won't accept it, struggles, protests, in vain, inexorably the prison closes in the child accepts is there any choice the spine curls up the head bends the whole body makes itself small perhaps some instincts suggest that none of this is permanent that good can come from misfortune each day the baby grows larger inside the shrinking prison and huddles up crouches submits then one day the prison comes to life no longer merely to keep the infant huddled in submission it begins like some octopus to hug and crush terrified the infant endures it the contraction ceases returns goes away again then there is another not strong playful so that once the infant has recovered from its initial fright, it comes to like them, to wait for the contractions, to hope for them. When they come embracing the infant, hugging it, it surrenders to them, arches its back, quivers with pleasure as this sensational game. And these caresses are going to last a whole month, the ninth. Painless for the mother, they prepare the child for the contractions of actual labor, which will be ten times more intense. And so he's talking about Braxton Hicks contractions. We'll get into that in the next show. Goes on to say, one day these contractions are no longer a game. They crush, they stifle, they assault. One day labor starts. The delivery has begun an intrinsic force wild out of control has gripped the infant a blind force that hammers at it and impels it downward it is no longer enough for the infant to bend its back overpowered it huddles up as tightly as it can with its head tucked in and its shoulders hunched together it is hardly more than a little ball of fright the prison has gone berserk demanding its prisoner's death the walls close in still further the cell becomes a passageway the passage a tunnel with its heart bursting the infant sinks into this hell its fear is without limit then suddenly fear changes to anger in rage the infant hurls itself against the barrier at all costs it must break through free itself Yet all this force, this monstrous, unremitting pressure that is crushing the baby, pushing it out toward the world, and this blind wall which is holding it back, confining it, these things are all one, the mother. She is driving the baby out. At the same time, she is holding it in, preventing its passage. It is she who is the enemy, she who stands between the child and life. Only one of them can prevail. It is mortal combat. This infant is like one possessed, mad with agony and misery alone, abandoned in fights with the strength of despair. 
The monster drives the baby lower still, and not satisfied with crushing it, twists it in a refinement of cruelty. The infant's head and body exude a corkscrew motion to clear the narrow passage of the pelvis, and the infant's head bearing the brunt of the struggle until it is almost forced down between the shoulder blades, down onto the chest. Why does the head give way? The baby is now at the height of its travail the effort required is too great the end is surely near death seems certain the monster bears down one more time and it is then that then that everything explodes the whole world bursts open no more tunnel no prison no monster the child is born and the barrier disappeared thrown away nothing except the void with all its horror freedom and it is intolerable where am i everything was pressing in on me crushing me but at least i had a form my mother my hated prison where are you alone i am nothingness dizziness take me back contain me again destroy me but let me exist the infant is crazed with pain and for a simple reason suddenly nothing is supporting his back and it is in this uh paroxysm of confusion of despair and distress that someone seizes the baby by a foot and suspends it over the void the spinal column has been strained bent pushed and twisted to the limit of its endurance and now it is robbed of all support and the head so supremely involved in the passage outward now it also is dangling twisting and this is at the very moment when in order to calm this vast terror, this panic, what is essential is coming together with the mother, a reuniting. If our deliberate intention was to teach the child that it had fallen into an indifferent world, a world of ignorance, of cruelty, and of folly, what better course of action could we have chosen? Now on what surface do we place this terrified baby who has so painfully emerged from the enveloping warmth and softness of the womb on a scale, often of steel, a cold that burns like fire. The cries redouble, and so does the joy of the onlookers, particularly if the baby's weight when it is announced is impressive. That's my baby crying, the ecstatic mother says. The baby is picked up again, again by the feet, head dangling once again vertigo once again terror the baby is laid down again on some corner of the table on top of some cloth and abandoned still crying and is this all no it is still necessary to attend to the eyes to put drops in them the body struggles the eyes are forced open and several drops of burning liquid are squeezed in and we'll get into all of this when I talk about our experience, folks. We did not allow most of this to happen. Again, we ended up in the hospital where we did not want to be. But this is a story of perseverance and a story of preparedness and a story of realism that we're about to unfold over the next couple of episodes as I share my personal experiences with you of planning for a completely natural birth and then having to adjust along the way, folks. It's all about overcoming adversity, 
uh, being true to oneself and having to make sacrifices in the heat of the moment, but being a hundred percent fully prepared uh, for situations that may arise. And that's what this show is all about, being prepared for the future. There may be things coming our way that we do not agree with, we do not want to be part of, some of which we will have to interact with. That's part of living one foot in the matrix. But the more we prepare for these things, the more we can avoid them as much as possible and be able to navigate them because we know what we are facing. And so this book helped us start out with our uh, baseline of what we wanted. And then along the way, we had to make some very difficult decisions uh, and didn't get everything we wanted. But we got our baby home the same day. We did not allow the hospital to lock our baby into some sort of confinement. We got him on my wife's chest within a matter of a couple of minutes. And so we ended up giving up some stuff, but we ended up protecting our baby boy. And it's all in due to uh, due to this book and the wonderful team of people uh, around us and the research that we did that we were able to get out of this in a very uh, good situation with our heads held high. It continues to say, and now the infant is alone, abandoned by everyone and everything, lost in a world as hostile as it is incomprehensible, still trembling with terror, hiccuping, choking, unhappiness is so ingrained in most babies by this time that they can hope for nothing else. If someone approaches, they tremble even more, and then we are uh, an extraordinary thing. When the tears and the gasping and the pain become too much, the infant flees. Not literally. Its legs, of course, cannot help it. The baby disappears into itself, doubles up again, curls up into a ball, folds its arms and legs against itself, and once again adopts the fetal position. Symbolically, it has taken itself back into the womb, overcome by the horror of the world. It returns to paradise. It objects to having been born. It becomes a fetus again, and once again a prisoner. Calm, but not for long. The baby is picked up again, dressed in things that are tight, rough, heavy, but which are so pretty, which go so well, which please the mother, the family, their friends. Once again, the baby protests, bursts into loud sobs, cries, howls, for as long as its strength holds out, and when it is no longer able to cry, it collapses, sinks into sleep, its only refuge, its only friend. This is birth, the torture of an innocent. What futility to believe that so great a cataclysm will not leave its mark. Its traces are everywhere, in the skin, in the bones, in the stomach, in the back, in all of our human folly. In our madness, our tortures, our prisons, in legends, epics, myths, in the scriptures. Ladies and gentlemen, when I get back, we'll get into part two of Birth Without Violence. My name is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. 
Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to pain.tv slash gold. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard. Folks, we often talk about freedom versus slavery. You know, we talk about good versus evil. We talk about this crazy world we live in now with corruption and criminality and power-hungry folks trying to rule over us. And we'll never know what's deep inside the mind of these psychopathic prison wardens, these people that we talk about here, these technocrats, these transhumanists, these mad scientists, doctors, people like Elon Musk, people like Peter Thiel, Eric Schmidt, Mark Zuckerberg, Jeff Bezos, and the rest of these power-hungry madmen. We'll never know. I told you that I have this unique ability to put my own mind into the mindset of a psychopath and start to figure out and predict where they're going with their plans, what they want to do to all of us. Most people can't put their mind into the mindset of that much evil. And I've been able to do that and do that quite well throughout my life. I think some of it comes from growing up with a father who was a cop who thought he was out there fighting bad guys. Uh, A father who became a private investigator right around the time that I was born in 1981 and has investigated a number of personal injury cases and medical malpractice cases and back in the days in the 80s and 90s when divorces were really heated. And so I would go on him when I was a a little kid. I'd go with him on investigations and and, uh, I got to see the evils of this world and I got to see how my father put the pieces of the puzzle together and investigated these things. And so that's part of how I think I have the ability to do that, to do what I do and sort of predict where we're going in the future. Uh, But you'll never really understand or know why people become psychopaths, why they become so power-hungry, why they hate humanity, which is the case of many of the people that we talk about here, especially the technocratic transhumanists. And so I think this book helps answer a lot of those questions. Uh, I think it can help us understand why some of these people came out of the womb so evil, that maybe, maybe, just maybe, their entrance onto this planet uh, was not so loving and so joyful as maybe even their parents and the physicians and the nurses on hand believed it was. And so these people end up tortured uh, throughout their life. This probably has the uh, effect, you know, an effect on one person more than it does on another, just like people who have experienced traumatic events as children. Some people get over them. Some of them talk to a psychiatrist and eventually let them brush off their shoulders. Some people become alcoholics. Some become drug addicts. Some become the very abuser that they spend their life trying to run away from. Some end up, unfortunately, taking their own lives. And some end up probably becoming the very monsters that we discuss on this show. But that's why I said this book is very important. And if everyone read it, I think they would have a better understanding of how a baby, a child, a human should enter this world without violence, and then maybe they won't be someone who is prone to violence throughout their lives. 
We talk about all the things we do on this show, but at the end of the day, it all starts here. It all starts in the very beginning. And so that's why I wanted to share this beautiful book with you because it puts everything we talk about into context. We get wrapped up with all of these things that happen after we are born, but we sometimes forget why we're talking about this. It is about our children. It is about our grandchildren. It is about the next generation. That's why the people we're fighting against spend so much time trying to groom the next generation into wokeness or into anti-family values or into video games and technology. They're always trying to brainwash and control the next generation. Well, if the next generation... Uh, read a book like this if this was the type of book they read as soon as they could start to fully understand and comprehend you know around the age of six seven eight nine i think they would have a much better understanding if parents who had put their children through this sort of hospital birth experience or through a situation even like us where we had to end up compromising on some of the things we did not want. But if you're prepared to talk to your child or to your grandchild about this book and about the experience that they had when they were born and some of the things they may have experienced, uh, but at a young age so that child understands and you apologize for some of the things they may, may be like deep root deep-seated inside them stuff they won't remember obviously but may have had an effect on them and you could make up for those things when they're in childhood and i'm not talking about buying them candy or bribing them with a toy or a video game i'm talking about showering them with true love and asking for forgiveness for some of these things that we would be a better world at the end of the day i love to battle against the bad guys but don't we want to end up fixing this in the future so maybe there aren't going to be as many bad guys out there folks and so i think this is a part of of this whole story that I'm telling here at the Dustin Gold Standard, what I've done in the first 86 episodes and what I'll be doing in the next 100, 200, 300, 400 episodes, hopefully infinite. Hopefully I'll be talking about this stuff until the day I die. So that's why I wanted to share this and I'm going to keep going because it's very important. And I know many of you are not going to go get this book. You're not going to be able to find it. You're not going to have time to read it. So I figured if you're listening to the show and you haven't tuned me out, I might as well read this to you. And uh, I'll eventually look to see if there's an audio book of this that I can put out there on pain.tv slash gold, and you guys can go buy it from whoever did it. If there is not, if it's not in print, never turned into an audiobook, I will record more of a theatrical audiobook style reading of this, obviously with no errors. Sometimes right here I'm reading in real time. I want this to be raw. I don't go back and edit out when I mince, uh, mispronounce words and such. I don't want this to be an epi- um, a show that's like fully edited. I want Uh, Part of what I do with you here to be raw, that's why you hear me make mistakes and I correct myself all the time. That's just the type of show I want to put out. I don't want a highly edited, highly produced show. But if I do this in the future, I will read this. There'll be no mistakes. It'll be in an audiobook format. 
and so that way you'll have a chance to listen to it and uh, the whole book if i do it start to finish with no analysis takes about an hour to read all right let's continue this is part two it starts off with a quote the question and the answer are one it says all of this is terrifying overwhelming it leaves us almost without hope without hope for the child should we prepare the infant while still in the womb with fine electrodes no it isn't the child who needs preparation it is we ourselves if we manifest such blindness so little understanding in the way we welcome newborn children can we marvel that the world is the way it is but let us concentrate on specifics of birth itself let us see how even a modest increase of sensitivity on our part can make an immense difference there is a disquieting paradox in birth the child suddenly finds itself liberated from an unendurable captivity and weeps this also happens so they say to prisoners who are suddenly set free the liberty they have dreamt of so long intoxicates them and panics them they begin to miss their prison bars both better off and worse off than before unconsciously they behave in ways that will ensure their re-imprisonment in the way the infant suddenly liberated howls we want to cry out but this is absurd why are you crying when you should be exulting now at last you can stretch reach out kick wave your arms in the air and yet you are crying look around you realize what has happened to you recognize your happiness and let me pause right there and explain that quickly because i think that is very important and actually put a lot together for me when i read this the first time it's so true i mean if you read stories about prisoners that end up in that uh, institutional cycle and they keep going back into prison because the uh, freedom and the liberty are too much to bear i am a strong believer that the vast majority of humans out there are natural sheep Uh, they like to be led they like to be herded they like to be told to line up and put on a mask and rub hand sanitizer all over their bodies and walk on the dotted lines in the grocery stores and stand six feet apart and stay behind the plexiglass and although many people i think deep inside their heart in their soul they know that none of that was protecting them they may not even believe that there's actually some covid virus out there but they become part of the covid land high school theater production they like to be led on the cattle car they like to be sent to the proverbial auschwitz and told what to do that's the world we live in we are in a prison planet where the majority of people are npcs and they just don't want to think for themselves and so i think one of the reasons throughout history there's these cycles of civilization that generally run every couple few hundred years so for instance if we formed a breakaway civilization together and started it off on the basis of freedom and liberty in the end 100 200 300 years from now we'd end up where we are today today and i think that happens because inside people they fear true freedom and true liberty true freedom and true liberty is true independence no big brother no big mama there to come and protect you no one to bail you out if you screw up and so that's what people fear and so instead they retreat and they would rather just be treated like a slave and told what to do and live inside that prison and have government force them 
to take vaccines and government hand them a universal basic income check. This is what the state, this is what the system actually relies on. And that's why it happens time and time again. But maybe if entering into this world was not so violent, people would actually enjoy the idea of freedom instead of trying to drive themselves back into the prison of their mother's womb. Uh, that's what I personally think about this, folks. That's why I think so many people, the people who end up becoming a problem for us, those who want freedom and liberty and to be able to make it on their own, we end up in a system where we get forced into decisions we don't want to make because those around us end up creating this policy because the culture is that they want to be slaves. And I think this is a very important, uh, important part of the book that describes just that and how we got to where we are today. It goes on to say, why won't the baby understand? Listen to reason. Reason in a tiny creature only a few minutes old, then what can we tell the baby? tell is not the right word the baby should be addressed in its own language the language that precedes words are we then to speak in gestures as we do to a foreigner of course not we must go back still further and rediscover the universal language which is simply the language of love speak of love to a newborn baby Yes, speak of love. Speak the language of lovers. And what is the essential language of lovers? Not speech. Touch. Lovers are shy, modest. When they want to embrace, they seek the darkness. They turn out the light or simply close their eyes. They create night for themselves. Touch becomes everything. And in this darkness, they quiver caress each other, lightly stroke each other, put their arms around each other, melt into well-being again, as in that ancient prison, the womb. They are silent. Words would be uh, superfluous. If there is any sound, it is a sigh of pleasure. It is their hands that speak, and their bodies listen and understand. This is what newborn babies must have. This is how we should speak to them how they can understand, simply by tenderness, by touch. Let us advance step by step, hoping to learn what we must do so as not to terrify the child who has come among us. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you're understanding this. This book has so much value. It explains so much. It is the complete and total uh, opposite of the stuff we cover here. This is love. This is freedom. This is liberty. This is joy. This is happiness. The complete and total opposite of the technocratic, transhumanist, evil prison planet wardens that we are battling. Those who want to drive us into their prisons. Those who want to have our babies grow up in the prison of a synthetic womb. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll be back. This is Dust to Go with the Dust to Gold Standard. Join us right here on pain.tv slash go. You're listening to the Dust and Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. 
folks. We are reading from this 1976 book, Birth Without Violence, ladies and gentlemen. The answer to so many of our questions lie right here in this book. And don't worry, I'm going to get back to eugenics and technocracy. I've got another special coming up with Jim, you know, Wide Awake Jim shortly. So don't worry, I haven't gone soft on you folks. I'm just trying to show you that... Um, this stuff is important. It's it's very important for us to put all of the evil into context with the good and find the people who spread the good, the joy, the love. And this is one of them, folks. This is one of them. And this is the most important part of life is uh, coming out of your mom into this world. I mean, some of these kids, we've done them a disservice. We, we bring them into this hellhole. But it's our job. It's our duty to bring kids into this world. It's our job to keep the human species alive. And so let's do it in the most peaceful way as possible. And maybe we won't end up with so many evil people out there, those that want to rule over others, control them, and actually work to engineer humanity out of existence. All right, let's continue. It says, it is really quite simple. Let us begin with the problem of sight and place ourselves like lovers in darkness. Now our alertness, our sense of touch grow keener. But above all, this way the infant's eyes are spared. Of course, some light is necessary to watch over the mother so that she will not be injured when the child's head emerges. But lamps and floodlights are unnecessary. As soon as the head appears and the danger has passed, extinguish all the lights, except a small nightlight. It will be enough. In the darkness, the mother will be able to make out her child's features only faintly, and this is all too good since newborn infants are almost always ugly, their features deformed by the fear. So true, but, uh, you know, my child uh, was cooking inside my wife for almost an extra two and a half weeks. So I have to be honest with you, folks, when William came out, um, and let me just, you know what, I'm just going to talk for a minute about this, because uh, we're nearing the end of the show, and we're going to pick back up with this book in the, uh, in the next episode. So I'm going to put it down to the side right now, and I'm going to talk to you about something that is just, frankly, so amazing. So we decided that we did not want to know the gender. Uh, my wife kind of did. She's very impatient, as am I in, in different ways. But my wife wanted to know. And I said, listen, you could know, but don't tell me. But I prefer not to do the ultrasound. We had a lot of discussions. And everything we came to uh, ended up being mutual. And we compromised on some things. And one of them we decided was, you know what? There are very few things in this world that are left to surprise us now. And so what better than our child, maybe our only one, who knows, than to find out what it is, what it looks like, its size and everything when it comes out. Like opening the best Christmas present in the entire world. And so we decided not to know our baby's gender. And... Everyone was guessing along the way. You know, many of you guys, many friends of mine, family members, uh, the midwives generally don't unless you ask them. We had some, they were all very professional. And so we said, no, come on, guess at the baby shower that my mother and my sister threw for my wife because her parents live in uh, Poland, which by the way, my mother-in-law is coming over here in a couple days to man the house uh, for the next three months so I can continue to grow 
the podcast, so she'll be here helping. Wonderful woman. And so we decided, okay, we're not going to know the gender. But everyone's guessing at the baby shower. They had a game, and people would guess the size and the weight and everything else. And so my wife never said what she thought it was. She always said to me, as long as it's healthy, that's all I want. And so I was the same way. I mean, honestly, I thought it through in my head what would happen, how I would raise a girl. And if it was a boy, how I would raise the boy. And it would have to be done in two different ways. And so I figured if it was a girl, I probably was going to go to prison because I would probably murder every man within uh, five feet of my child. And uh, so we didn't know, right? And so people at the YMCA where we were taking all of our uh, water classes where we used to work out until my wife couldn't run the treadmill anymore uh, would say, hey, the stomach is low. It's a boy. Hey, the stomach is high. It's a girl. Hey, the stomach is high. It's a boy. Hey, the stomach is low. It's a girl. Uh, Your butt didn't get big. You stayed in shape. It's this. It's that. It's this. Oh, it's this thing. It's that. Every single thing, right? So everybody took all these guesses and whether they were uh, asked to guess or not they would voice their opinion and so about two weeks before my wife gave birth uh, right around the time that was the expected due date which was October 28th she had a dream and there was a boy with a full head of dark hair and she woke up that morning and she told me We're having a boy, and he has a full head of dark hair. And I said, are you sure? She said, well, that's what was in my dream. Two days later, she had another dream with the same boy in it. And she said, no, it's definitely a boy, and it has dark hair. Now, a few months earlier, she had a dream, and there was a boy in it. She never dreamt that it was a girl, but she couldn't remember the boy. She didn't really see the boy until two weeks before the birth. And so, um, I'm sorry, folks. I almost cried. I'm sorry. I'm not going to cry on this show. Um, but she, um, she, uh, so once you hear the whole story, you'll understand how much work she went through and how much pain she was in. But she, um, the boy started to crown. I had saw the top of its head. And so the nurse Uh, poppy she was actually a professional and made the whole process go really smooth in a place that we did not want to be and i snapped at her a couple of times and poppy i apologize we're going to be sending you a card so uh don't worry i we love you very much and um, you made this happen the way we wanted it to so um she says do you want a mirror to see and at first i'm thinking my wife does not want to see what it looks like down there because it's quite frightening but uh she said i want to see and so she saw the top of his head you know at first about uh i don't know like a half dollar size and it was a full head of hair dark hair and she said oh my god Oh, my God. And I knew what she was thinking. And uh, about 10 minutes later, 15 minutes later, the baby came out and the doctor and this guy I'm going to talk about because I was not fond of him. Um, he catches the baby. Originally at home, it was going to be me. But again, there's there's certain things you have to give up when you end up in a prison system uh, and you don't want to get arrested. But he catches the baby and I said, it, it's a boy. And she sees him. And my wife said, that's the boy from my dreams. That is the boy from my dreams. And uh, 
I got to tell you guys, I had seen so many babies over the years, friends of mine, so many baby pictures, you know, people posting everything on Facebook all the time. And most kids, I'm a pretty honest person. I'm very transparent. I mean, I won't say something to someone's face. I'm not out. I'm not looking to like offend people or get in fights with people. But if it comes up in conversation and you ask me, most babies are frankly ugly. They look like shriveled up Sharpe dogs or like Santa's elf that you put in a microwave and it's shriveled up or some kind of uh, pickle person puppet made out of a woman's stocking, you know, stuffed with cotton with googly eyes. Uh, most of them are pretty damn ugly. And so I always said to myself, if my kid is ugly, I am not going to lie about that. I'm going to tell you, hey, you don't have to say it's cute. I know it's ugly maybe over the next couple of years it'll change and it'll look like a normal human uh now i will say because our kid was cooking for an extra almost two and a half weeks right and because in the traditional rockefeller medical system they would have been trying to induce my wife at 40 weeks definitely by 41 if not pushing for a c-section they would have uh, gotten it out of there before it was ready it just wasn't ready so over 50 percent of women and folks i know all the stats i've read so many studies over the last nine months outside of this show i was doing a lot of research over 50 percent of women in the traditional OBGYN system are forced into induction uh, and or c-section after 40 weeks so they don't really know uh, how long that kid should be cooking inside of mommy's belly and so he looked like a little man uh, his face was not all wrinkled up he had a full head of hair had really defined features um 21 and a half inches tall almost nine and a half pounds normal hands uh normal feet he didn't have like those traditionally like club feet like little babies do uh and he looked like a little man like a little boy and i have to say this is not just a father i mean i would tell you i'd say my kid looks like yoda if uh if it was true i wouldn't lie to you here on the show so i try to look at it through a very objective lens i ended up with one of the most handsome little fellas on the planet uh all my wife's doing folks because it's not me i will tell you that now i don't know what happened we ended up so lucky uh when his eyes are closed he looks like my wife uh he's got her chin uh we both have very full oh sorry about that i hit the mic we both have very full lips so he's got full lips uh he's got this little button nose you never know what those are going to turn into and he has uh, when he opens his eyes i do see my face there because he has these sort of partial japanese asian eyes i'm a quarter japanese i'm actually a quarter japanese a quarter italian a quarter austrian 20 percent scottish and then five percent uh english and irish so our baby is all that cut in half plus 50 percent polish so when you look at him uh 
with the eyes open uh, i can see myself there now like it's it's so weird your soul actually connects uh maybe because i read this book but i don't have to speak to my child through words although i am i did a theatrical reading of the grinch the other day uh probably i think the second day he was on earth i did the theatrical reading of the grinch with the whole grinch voice ah one day i'll do that for you around christmas but um I can see in his eyes, and I think a lot of it, the features and everything and the way he looks is because he was in there cooking for another two and a half weeks, and I think that was great. And my wife is so proud she did not have to be induced. She started labor on her own and went uh, 44 hours at home, completely exhausted. She is a machine, a warrior, and so uh, I give her so much credit for getting through that she was so brave i'm so proud of her and i have so much more respect uh, for all women out there although obviously we're battling evil on all fronts you guys are brave because uh us men imagine squeezing a ping pong ball out of uh out of you know where i don't know if many of us can actually handle that folks i mean i will say a lot of good guys out there if we had to do it and it was to bring our baby on earth i'd do it i know you would i would so uh it's not to say we wouldn't but these women are frankly incredible folks so uh have a little respect for them especially for my wife because she is a battle-hardened polish warrior all right ladies and gentlemen when we get back i'm going to finish this book for you because it is important we are about to go deep into the depths of darkness on the origins of eugenics and the origins of sterilization and so this actually worked out perfectly because we can talk about the good side of the world before we get into the real evil because the stuff we're about to touch is total darkness so i will finish up this book and then I'm going to tell you our personal experience because I want you to understand what I had to fight within that system. I will name names. I have my wife's permission to do so. I'll tell you about the good people, the bad people, everything I learned, and uh, the fact that we were locked in a room in COVID isolation uh, while we were at the hospital the whole time during the whole birth and the recovery because we refused to get COVID tests. So we were treated like we had COVID whether we did or we did not and everyone in the hospital had to play covid land the high school theater production with double paper masks on with their lips hanging out the side as if that was going to prevent any spread of disease and they were wearing like a little plastic front which looked like a lobster bib that was somehow protecting them from uh, covid spreading around in the room folks it's going to be an amazing story i talked to maria albanese all about this co-host of the thomas Payne podcast some Fridays. She helped me frame out some of the ways that I can tell these stories and uh, help you guys and help you understand what the system looks like now and how you can fight for your rights, understand your rights as a patient, understand when they are trying to trick you, when they're trying to sell you drugs, when they're trying to break apart your family. I think um, I am willing to give myself and my wife a lot of credit for being prepared 
prepared for this situation, probably in the top one percentile, similar to you folks and myself that listen to the show and that analyze what's going on. We're in the top one percentile of understanding the truth of what we're facing in this world. And so I think we're in the top one percentile of folks that understand how that hospital system works and how to be prepared to go to battle in real time with very little time to make life or death decisions for your wife, for your child, for your grandchildren, for your friends, family, whoever you're there to support. So folks, I'm going to share all that with you. This is human real world intelligence. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for coming back to the show. God bless you for all the prayers, all the letters, all the emails and text messages and tweets. I appreciate it very much more than you will ever know. Thank you to everyone who reached out, said they wanted to give us something. Again, you can go to donorbox.org slash Dustin Gold Show and leave us something there. Or you can just go over and join us at pain.tv slash gold. Sign up for the basic or the hotwire and that helps us out as well. Ladies and gentlemen, I am back. I am on track, and we will continue as we did before. My beautiful baby boy, William Christoph Gold, was born on November 13th at 7.12 a.m. Baby, I love you. I'll see you all tomorrow. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here at pain.tv slash gold. The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold.